0: Join me in Ephesians chapter four, if you will, as we ease our way through Ephesians. (laughs) Ephesians chapter four. We're only going to read one verse tonight. But before we do, remember that in these latter verses we're seeing the contrast between the from the old man to the new man. The old man is corrupt. According to deceitful lust, the new man is created by God, righteously, it's it's holy. The old man lies, the new man speaks truth, the old man has sinful anger, the new man knows how to be angry and not sin, and... Last week, we learned in verse 27 that we're not supposed to give place to the devil. Giving place to the devil is when you voluntarily give him territory in your life that rightfully belongs to God, which, by the way, every part of your life does. Neither give place to the devil. We first made application how, in context, that's talking about When we get angry, we are allowing the devil to have a place, and our emotions are often the way that the devil would want to take advantage of us, and some of us may be very drama, some of us may have anger issues, Um, some of us may get into a depressed state, Um, God or the the enemy wants to use our God-given emotions against us. And so we have to be careful about that because he wants to get advantage. And remember that we weren't talking about Satan using some kind of uh, assault. We're not talking about fiery darts here. We're not talking about the devil using some kind of deceit where he might try to use craftiness and subtlety. This says, don't give place to the devil. So we're talking about those areas that we can control. Uh, Well, we can control a lot, but I guess that came out wrong. But we're talking about those areas where uh, we just willingly hand the enemy a room in our heart or whatever. And so it's our choice to make. And when that happens, remember from last week, we have to confess our sins And that means to call our sinfulness as God calls it. And then we have to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Now, let's pick up where we left off last week, and we'll see the next contrast listed in verse 28. The Bible says, let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, I believe every message in the Bible is for every age, though some messages need to be emphasized a little bit more depending on the age in which someone might have lived. And I would say in our day of so-called social justice, America needs this verse. And as I was studying for this, I could not grasp a starting place because my mind was just going all over. And we're not going to get to it all. We, we could certainly do a series on this verse as well. But let him that stole steal no more. As kind of a way of introduction, let's remember Paul's addressing the saints at Ephesus And he's reminding believers, don't lie. Don't be angry and and sin. Um, And now he says, don't steal anymore. And in verse 29, he's going to say, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And I see in these verses that God saves sinners. God saves those who lie. God saves those who are angry. God saves those who are thieves. God saves those that have corrupt communications. And I'm glad tonight that God still saves old sinners. There were two thieves crucified next to Christ. One railed on them, the other Looked at the Lord, and and, or actually, he was talking to the thief, I think. If I've got this straight in my head, my mind just went blank. But he said, look, we're suffering justly. This man did nothing amiss. And then he says, Lord, remember me. What's he say when you get to your kingdom? Is that what he says? I can't remember exactly. And then Jesus says, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And I'm glad that God can save sinners. I I don't want to go into detail, and I don't even know that, you know. I remember getting busted for that when I was seven years old. It's never good when the cops show up at a master sergeant's house on base. And um, the warning was given, your son messes up again. You're off post or off base. And... Um, I'm just saying we all have a past. And there's all kinds of forms of thievery. I think we understand that tonight. I'm not going to get into that. You know, for example, you can steal from your employer by not putting in a hard day's work, all that kind of stuff. But um, there's thieves in every culture. When we lived in Korea, and and you see this a lot over in Asia, um, all the residences had walls around them like a compound and a gate that would lock. But then they go the extra step, and on the top of the wall, they embed broken glass and nails so that you can't just climb over this wall. And and that's comforting, you know, bringing uh, your wife over to Korea and saying, hey, this is where we live. Oh, that's great glass you got up there. Hey, man, looks good. Um, What's that? Oh, and and bars were on the windows, and um, (laughs) oddly enough, I felt very safe, and um and actually, the people were very nice, so anyway, um, there's thieves in every culture is all I'm saying and um, I, I got to I got curious about this, so I did a Google search <laughs> the National Association for Shoplifting Prevention. Now, just the fact that there's a national association for that tells you enough right there, doesn't it? but. It costs the American taxpaying public a total of about 33.21 billion a year or about $75,000 every minute. According to bluewatercredit.com, it is estimated there are currently 27 million shoplifters in the US, which means one in 11 steal it's estimated that there are between 330 to 440 million individual cases of shoplifting every year, which comes to 1 to 1.2 million shoplifting incidences incidents daily, or 50,000 every hour. We've even read accounts of rich people that get busted stealing, some Hollywood person and... They've got the money. Which goes to show you it's a heart issue. What Paul is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost is there ought to be a change in our lives after salvation. Sanctification is a process. We're not just magically going to be sinless when we get saved. It'd be nice. But I would say this. At a minimum, after your salvation, there ought to be the desire to live right. I think we all could agree with that. I don't have a problem with salvation in Christ being easy. But I have a problem with the idea that you just pray a prayer and all's good. You can hang a term on that if you want. Some people call it easy believism. I don't know if I like the term or not because I know believing is easy. But I also understand how they mean the term. Now, if you genuinely give me... I mean, you say, look, I gave my heart to Christ. I'm not not here to argue that. I'm not your eternal judge. But I know this. Those in Christ will be different from the world. I remember many years ago, some of you preachers will remember this, I think. Pastor Williams in his preacher boys class gave us a copy of a sermon entitled The First Word of the Gospel by a man named Edwin Orr. The message was on repentance. And Edwin Orr, I want to tell you the story that he tells. Edwin Orr was hooked up with this group called um, Hollywood Christian Group. And they were having a meeting of some Hollywood elites at somebody's house one night. And Dr. Orr said, I looked up and sitting in front of my wife was the gangster Mickey Cohen. He was brought by a man named Stuart Hamlin, who wrote the song, It Is No Secret, What God Can Do. And Billy Graham was the speaker that night, and no invitation was given. So Dr. Orr asked if anybody wanted to talk afterwards, just raise your hand. And Mickey Cohen acknowledged that he did want to speak. Well, Dr. Orr gave him a a New Testament, set up an appointment to meet with Billy Graham the next day and he never showed. Dr. Orr uh, was told by his friend, somebody else he didn't give the name, that his friend came to him and said, "Hey, I led Mickey Cohen to the Lord." And he said, "I used Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me." which, by the way, is not even a salvation text. That's a whole other thing. That verse is speaking to the church. This man said to Mickey Cohen, all you need to do is invite Jesus into your heart. And he said, that's it. The man said, that's what I did. Well, the man flew Mickey Cohen from Los Angeles to New York, put him up in the Waldorf Astoria. This never happens to me, amen, I... I'd be making professions of faith every week if that would happen. And he put him up at the Waldorf, and he wanted him to spend a week in New York City going to Madison Square Gardens and listening to Billy Graham preach one of his crusades. And what Mickey Cohen did was he borrowed the man's credit card. Just quick side note here, don't give gangsters your... Well, he takes the man's credit card, and he runs up $5,000 worth of debt. Now, this is back in the like, early 50s, late 40s. And um, Mickey Cohen said, I was just obliging a sucker. So the two men, they bitterly parted ways, and this is, what I, this is what I want you to get out of this. Mickey Cohen told the man, you didn't tell me I had to give up my career meaning his racketeering. You didn't tell me I had to get new friends, meaning he didn't need to have his gangster friends. You didn't tell me this, and you didn't tell me that, and if that's your Christianity, I want no part of it. And so Edwin Orr, he he goes on to say that Mickey Cohen heard that Roy Rogers was a Christian cowboy and that Colleen Townsend was a Christian actress and Tim Spencer was a Christian songwriter and I couldn't understand the name, but this particular guy was a Christian footballer and Frank Carlson was a Christian senator and Mickey thought he could be a Christian gangster. And the audience did what you just did and he stopped them. And he said, You laugh at that? He said, Wouldn't you agree there's young people in church that think you can be a Christian fornicator? I mean he he like chilled the room. <laughs> and here's the point. Mickey Cohen wanted to keep being a thief. He wanted to mix an intellectual ascent of Christ with a life of crime. And God is telling us in our text here, you can't do that. There must be a change. We must come out from among them and be separate. Let him that stole steal no more. And Paul is saying, those of you who were thieves in your old life, you can't. The eighth commandment is, thou shalt not steal. Now, I think we understand that point, so we're not going to dwell there. But look at the rest of the verse. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not real happy with how this message turned out. So I hope it makes sense to you when we're all said and done. But It's God's design that we labor. And to labor means... To work hard, to be wearied, to feel fatigued. That's laboring. Now, I understand we live in a day where we don't necessarily go out to the fields and pick cotton by hand. It wasn't long ago that some men in our church did that. I understand that due to modern machinery, we don't necessarily labor with our hands, not all of us. Some do. But you can still labor until you're wearied. God gave us the principle in creation. Now, I don't believe God had to labor or was wearied when he created the world. But he was given the principle of working six days and resting one. In Genesis 2, 2 and 3, it says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he... Had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now, the emphasis is in keeping the Sabbath holy, or the Lord's Day as we call it now, but uh, certainly the principle to work six days and have one off is what is being emphasized by God. And I want you to listen to the fourth commandment Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We are designed to labor. Obviously, as we get older, our bodies break down and we can't do what we used to do. And, and by the way, retirement is a uh, privilege, not a Right. Come on now, the Bible says six days you're going to work, one day you're going to take off. And so it's a privilege because here's what uh, a lot of people kind of like to say as well. Well, when you get to to my point, you can do... Well, wait a minute, you're enjoying the blessings of God. Uh, It's not that you have right to do that. It's that God has blessed you to be able to do that. Now, I got to be careful. But we are designed to work and to have a day of rest. In Exodus 23, 12, Six days shalt thou do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and thy and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. The, the call for a day of rest is connected with the assumption that you've labored for six. You catching that? Uh, you, you get the day of rest because you labored for six, and... Um, we live in a day, and I, and I hate to bring this up. I know we were just talking about this last night, but it's on my brain and now i got to say it. But uh, we were talking about someone we know who um, just kind of dropped out of church and faded, faded out into the background and God's not important in their life. And, and, uh, and, and their answer was, well, that's the only day I get to rest. And Adrian said, no, it's not. You can rest on Saturday. Well, I can't rest on Saturday because we spend all day at the softball field. Well, that's because sports is your God. So the idea of being refreshed is that you actually put in some work. And you got to understand, in those days, you worked from sun up to sundown. And it wasn't that long ago in America that you did that. Some of you old-timers remember getting up several hours before school just to go work on the farm. And then you got home from school, and you had more work to do on the farm. And I think you would agree that overall, we are a lazy society today. Look, I'm not telling y'all are lazy. Just smile. It's okay. You're starting to look convicted. Um, I know you're just falling asleep. It's okay. But we're a lazy society today. Um, But here's what I've noticed. We're not lazy in finding ways to be lazy. We can be pretty ingenious in, in, in in... industrial. We, we can find a lot of ways to, <laughs> to be lazy. And I've done this. So I'm just going to go ahead and raise my hand, and maybe you have too. But have you ever laid around all day, and you said, man, I'm tired from doing nothing. <laughs> right? I don't know why that is, but it's like your rest isn't sweet. I don't know. It's some kind of a curse. But we're just lazy a lot of times, and um, God warns against the sluggards. We're not going to get into all that because that's not really the emphasis of the verse, I don't think. But I, I have to quote this. I have to take opportunity to say this verse. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And I would love to run that down, but this is where America has gone astray. Because there are plenty who could work and don't, and yet they're on some sort of a program to take advantage of the taxpayer. And I would never pound the pulpit over those who can't help themselves, either through some sort of mental retardation or some sort of physical handicap, because God wants us to help them, as we'll see here in a minute. Um, God even wants us to help the poor and those in need. But I'm not going to apologize for the word of God to the lazy bum when you're not getting a meal from me because you don't work. I'll never forget when Kevin Byer from Australia one time wrote a letter here. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just his normal monthly letter. Or maybe he was visiting. I can't remember. But he said this. There was a man in Australia on the street, and he was begging for money. He said he was a well-abled man, and so he said, Well, I'll tell you what, you come with me. I've got a car that needs to be washed. I'll give you 20 bucks. And The guy said, No, thank you. I can get that sitting here. We want our days of rest without the labor. That's the problem. And, and here's the deal. It's when we don't labor as we should... We, that we find time to get into trouble. Yeah, right. Second Samuel 11, verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And so... David knew better than to walk out on his roof at that time. I don't have time to get into all that, but it was the time where women would go and purify themselves. And, uh, and, and he knew better, but he was there. But let, let me say this before I get ahead of my notes. I'm not suggesting that if you work all the time, you're not going to sin. There are people who work all the time who are workaholics, and they got all kinds of problems because they're never home. But the principle is clear. David wasn't where he ought to have been, right? Everybody understand that? It was the time when the kings would go forth to battle, but he chose to delegate that responsibility to Joab, and so David stayed home. On top of that, the text seems to suggest that David was napping at a time that maybe he shouldn't have been. I don't know. But it says he arose off his bed at evening tide. And for sure, he should have been at the battle during that time. He wasn't fulfilling God's plan to labor, and it got him in a mess of trouble, and really his whole family, because the sword would not depart from his family as a result. And he stole that which wasn't his. He stole Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah. And what just really kind of breaks your heart is, Uriah was one of his mighty men. But I'm off track here from our context. This this verse though is telling us we need to labor instead of stealing. There are those who would rather steal than labor. But I want to tell you tonight that there's a blessing in laboring. The Bible says in Psalm: uh, 128 in verse 2, "For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be." And it shall be well with thee. There, there's just blessings when we understand that our livelihood is because we put forth some kind of effort. Proverbs 13:11, "He that gathereth by labor shall increase." Proverbs 14, 23, In all labor there is profit. Ecclesiastes 2, 24, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Now I want you to take this the right way because we understand that what we have is from God. But if I can say it this way, there's satisfaction from knowing We can stand on our own, so to speak. Is everybody with me? There's a difference between, uh, there's a different kind of stewardship when we earned it. You're probably going to treat something a little bit better when you labor to buy it than when somebody just gave it to you. Now, you keep giving me stuff, amen, but... You understand what I'm saying, though. Um, there's a respect for what it takes to earn a buck. I'll never forget when the kids were were, were even younger than they are now, and uh, we were at the dinner table, and I I asked a question about what do y'all think this cost? It is so goofy to hear all the ranges of <laughs> you know. And Carson was like the one that was way out there. He's like, I don't know, three hundred dollars, and we're talking like a five dollar piece. I mean, it was <laughs> three hundred dollars, and I'm like. <laughs> You guys have no conception of what it means to work and earn earn a living. But when you labor, there's a greater appreciation for life. I mean, there just is. Um, Now, our text says we're to labor for the thing which is good. We are warned in Proverbs, don't labor to be rich. Our labor is to have a purpose beyond our own selfish gain. Uh, we, We read that We are to labor here in our text, that we may have to give to him that needeth. The fact of the matter is, needs come up, which can't always be met on our own. We, we've really experienced that since becoming a pastor. There's needs that come up that you just can't you can't meet on your own. There are medical emergencies. Our cars break down, our houses have issues, um, there are layoffs, and I'm trying to say it this way, there are those who labor and are poor, but, for, but they're still laboring, and, and for various reasons, legitimate reasons, they just don't make enough in life, and, and, and the Bible says here, you labor so that you can give. But I want the new car, and I want the bigger house, and I want the nicer clothes. Now, understand in America that the poorest is typically richer than 95% of the rest of the world. But if you go somewhere like the Philippines, there are those who live in the cemetery because their parents dropped them off there, and they dumpster dive to live. Food. Every nation has this. We have it here in Rapid City to some extent. But some more than others. And God intends for our labors to be able to help those in need. Now, I'm not saying in this day and age that we're not to try to analyze the situation a little bit. Pray about it. I'm not saying that there aren't some, you know, con artists out there. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to be smart about things and try to see whether or not it's a legit situation. But Christians, listen to this, are supposed to be giving people. Proverbs 17, 5 says, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. God says, you give it, I'll pay it again. Proverbs twenty-one thirteen: Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Proverbs 22, 9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven: He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. The virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 is said to stretch out her hand to the poor. 1 John 3.17 But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Don't despise the poor. Because you can be there tomorrow. See also the book of Job. But count your blessings, and in your labors be ready to give to those in need. And and here's something that we Christians have to learn in this day and age, and that is to give without expectation of return. Because there are plenty of people in need, and they come through our church, The most recent I can think of, a man came through here with his wife uh, not too long ago and claimed to be a believer in Christ and was falling on hard times and said, I need $375 or we're going to get kicked out. And so I went to Brother Mac and and Brother Brock, I think, and I said, hey, here's the deal. Are you all okay giving this money? And they said, yes. Those are some of the most given men you'll ever meet. I'll just tell you that. And so we, uh, we, we gave them $375, and as I sat down with the man, I said, do you know how many times we've given money and nobody's ever come back? I'll be back tonight. That's okay, we'll see where your heart's at. He didn't come back, and he hasn't been back, and I don't expect him to come back. But we're going to keep giving to those in need because the Bible tells us to do it. Amen! That's right, Candy. (laughs) Shot it right at her, amen. But we're going to continue to help those in need. Matthew 25, 33 through 40 says, And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, listen to what he says. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. You came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So we ought to be ready to feed the hungry. We ought to give drink to those that are thirsty. We ought to be ready to clothe the naked. Because Jesus said, when you do that, you're doing it unto me. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Hebrews thirteen two says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained uh, angels unaware. I can't tell you what all that means, but it sounds like to me, sometimes we're entertaining uh, angels. And when we have it to give, we should not immediately shy away from helping. Those who have been blessed above measure through their labors need to give to those in need. I'm not preaching some kind of socialism, but I'm talking about what our Father says to do. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 says, And above all these things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitudes of sin multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God." Romans 12, 13 says, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. And I know some would argue, well, you you take care of the brethren, you don't take care of the lost. Well, Galatians 6, 10 says, and as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, I have a personal policy that I will first take care of those in here, before I will take care of somebody who comes in off the street. That's just the way I do it because people have needs in here. And if I have to make a decision, I'm going to choose the household of faith first. You can disagree with that if you want, but I'll, I'm the one that will stand and account for that. And there's, there's another thought that we just don't have time to get into. But we need to give those in need so they're not tempted to steal. This is hard to understand in our culture. It's just hard to understand today. But Proverbs 6, 30 and 31 say, Men, do not despise a thief if he still to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. So God's not excusing the thievery. There needs to be a payback for that. But we need to be understanding of those who are just on some desperate times. Anyway, there's a lot of wrinkles to this that I said we wouldn't get into tonight, and that's as far as we're going to take it. But here's the contrasted conclusion. Don't steal, but rather labor. Then in your labors, give to those in need. And you'll be blessed. My dad is one of the most giving people I know. And I'm sure I've told the story before and I won't tell the whole story, but I remember in Georgia when he pastored two small country churches and people would come up and he would open up his wallet and give what he had. And that's back when you carried cash. And yet God met all of our needs. You know what I'm saying? God will take care of you. You just do the right thing and you just be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word. And I pray that if uh, anyone in here has an issue with stealing, that you would just convict that heart. And that we would learn to labor, and not just labor for selfish gain, but that we might labor that we might give. And as preacher would say, he would pray for money to come in this hand so he could give it out with the other hand. And God, I just pray you'd help us to kind of have that mindset through this verse, this passage here, that we would be givers and help those that have genuine needs. But, Lord, we would certainly ask for discernment to see through the, those who are just trying to scam or rob. And, Lord, you have blessed this church to be able to give, and I thank you for it. And so I pray that you would help us to just stay, stay generous, have the right kind of heart, and then give us discernment corporately as well. Now, Father, I pray you give us safety as we go home, please. I ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.